unto thee, O Lord. Do I lift up my today. Uh, we have visitors with us and we are so excited to have you here. Uh, we also have people who are joining us online and we welcome you as well. In our worship today, Brother Jeremy Jones is going to be leading us in singing. Uh, Brother Todd Sweeney has our opening prayer. Brother Ethan Kendrick will have our scripture reading. Uh, Brother Ken is over in Georgia. He's at an event similar to the Cox Boulevard singing. We are blessed not only to have a good preacher, he's also a good song leader, and they've asked him to help them over there, and I'll be speaking in his absence. Brother Chris Langley will help us by directing the Lord's Supper, and then Brother Guy Gardner will have our closing announcements and closing prayer. We have several that we need to be remembering in prayer this morning. Donald Horse, that's Joanne Roberts' brother, needs prayers. Also, Stanley Shuck needs prayers for eye bleeding. Uh, brother Tommy Barragona is at home following a medical procedure. And Sister Beatrice Barron is uh, in the Tupelo Hospital following a stroke. And so as we begin today, we want to lift them up in prayer. Would you bow with me, please? Our loving Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we can assemble today to worship Thee. We pray that all that we do would be pleasing in Your sight. We're so thankful, Father, that we can ask Your support for those who are 
suffering uh, from illness or, or procedures. We pray that you would be with uh, Donald Horsch, with Stanley Shock, with uh, Brother Tommy Barragona, and with Beatrice Barron. We pray for all of their recovery. We love you, Father. Now be with us in our worship. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. First song will be the New Doxology. If you're willing and able, would you please stand with me as we sing this song, New Doxology. Praise God,
Bow with me, please. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for another opportunity we have to come and worship you in song and praise. Father, we ask that you be with each one of us as we go throughout our week, as throughout our daily lives, that we may live and work and play in a manner that pleasing unto thee. Father, we ask you to continue to be with the elders of our church, that they may lead us in a direction that, that would be pleasing unto you. Father, we ask that you be with us throughout the week and through the upcoming months that we all may make wise decisions and keep ourselves and others as safe as possible. Most of all, Father, we thank you for your son Jesus, whom died on the cross, that we forgiveness of our sins, that we might have an opportunity of home in heaven with thee one day. It's through his precious name we pray. Amen. Song of invitation will be Restore My Soul. We'll have a couple of songs before Brother Jim leads us uh, in uh, the thoughts for the hour. Christ be true. To Christ be Lord,
scripture reading this morning will be the book of Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23 to 27. Proverbs, chapter 4, verse 23 through 27. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. The following scripture says, Keep your heart without vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Put away from you crooked speech, and put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward, and your gaze be straight before you. Ponder the path of your feet, and all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left, but turn your foot away from evil. Thank you, Brother Kendrick. It's good to be with you this morning. As I mentioned uh, earlier, Brother Ken is uh, in Georgia. Uh, we uh, wish him well and his safety back today. I don't know about you, but I have been uh, just appalled at some of the things I've seen on television this year. It just seems like 2020 is a really challenging year. Recently, I was uh, reading a book by Dean Kilmer. Dean Kilmer was Church of Christ preacher in uh, Waxahachie, Texas, when he wrote this book back in 2006. Uh, it's been 14 years since that time, and during that time, Brother Kilmer passed away. If he were still living, I'm sure he would be shocked at the deterioration of things in the United States. The title of his book is Igniting the Moral Courage of America, Six Ways You Can Inspire People to Live with Integrity. When you think about integrity, there are some definitions. I've got a Google definition, uh, the quality of being honest, and having strong moral principles, moral uprightness, or if you go to Merriam-Webster, uh, adherence to a code of especially moral or artistic values, incorruptibility. I've found is the synonyms to be interesting, like character and decency and goodness and honesty and morality and righteousness, righteousness and especially that word virtue. You know, I think... We may have had our integrity kidnapped. When you think about what we have seen during the summer, the, all of those, quote, protests in which property was vandalized, stores were looted, people, including police officers, uh, injured or even killed. I find it different now than it was several years ago in that political parties are willing to do whatever it takes to win. This is especially evident when you look at everyone votes the party line. There's not anybody that seems to have the courage to stand out and be different than their, quote, political party based on the facts. We saw this during the impeachment hearing. We saw it during the Supreme Court justice confirmation. And this recent presidential election has been filled with example after example of fraud. You know, is, is integrity being kidnapped in the United States? Some statistics would point to that. You know, all the shootings and murders in some cities, we hear a lot about those in Chicago and how they're skyrocketing. The very thought process that uh, Americans are going through, 69% say cohabitation is acceptable even if a couple doesn't plan to get married. There are shocking statistics right here in Mississippi. Mississippi leads the nation in pregnancies to those not married with over 50%. I think the latest figure I saw was 54.7%. And 18% of pregnancies, including miscarriages, going back about three years ago, ended in abortion. And drug abuse, illegal drug abuse, is killing over 65,000 people a year. How many of you get robocalls? Let me see a show. Wow, it's not just me. I mean, there'll be people calling, claiming to be from Social Security. 
and then they're not. They'll be claiming to be from Microsoft, and if I don't get on the line and turn my computer over to them, they're going to shut me off, but they're not from Microsoft. They'll be claiming to be from the IRS, but they're not. They'll be claiming to ask you a, a few survey questions, if you'll just give a little bit of your time, and then at the end of that survey, they'll be asking you for a donation. What has happened to honesty and integrity? I'm sick of the national news media. It's unwilling to report the news. They're refusing to report some stories if they don't, are not favorable to their particular candidate, and they're refusing to ask questions when they are afraid the answer will hurt their candidate, or they ask trapping and gotcha questions to the candidates that they do not support. And what you see is people choosing what channel they're going to watch the news on because they think the other channel is uh, participating in things that are dishonest. Politicians sometimes get a lot richer than their salary would justify. How could that happen? And the media is feeding our homes with sin as an acceptable lifestyle. For example, sex before marriage is presented as acceptable, even the norm. And the homosexual agenda permeates many programs. And people taking a stand for Christianity are served up as being outside the norm and their ridicule. And the standards of what is proper to show on TV seem to be getting worse year after year. And this even goes over into commercials. There's one particular commercial that if it comes on our television, Janita tells me, change the channel. She just can't stand to watch it because it just violates her sense of proper. And the Internet is a window for pornography into the home. I want you to think about this. Without integrity, our nation will not function effectively. We were built as a nation that believes in God. If you don't think that's true, go back and read the Declaration of Independence. At least five different times, God is referenced in the Declaration of Independence. You know, our court system depends on integrity. Judges need to be open-minded and not influenced by bribes or politics. This is not a new thing. It went back all the way to the time of Samuel, time of Eli. In 1 Samuel, the 8th chapter, in verse 3, But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. That's talking about Eli's sons. You see, Eli did not teach his sons integrity, and because he didn't teach them integrity, the nation of Israel suffered. Witnesses need to be honest and true to their oaths if our court system is going to function. If you go back to Proverbs, the sixth, sixth chapter, you'll see there are six things that God hates, you know, and seven is an abomination to Him. And one of the items that He hates is a false witness who speaks lies. Our court system will not work unless we can have confidence that when a person puts their hand on God's Word and, and says that they're going to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that that's what they're going to do. And the court system depends on jurors needing to render verdicts based on their evidence. Jesus said in John seven fifty one, Does your law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? Solomon said back in Proverbs, the first one to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 21, Paul had instructions there that apply to jurors today, and that was to test all things and make sure that they are true. Fair elections depend on everyone following the rules. Every legal vote should count. We need to have trust and confidence in the system. Honesty and integrity must be evident for all, 
or we lose our confidence in who's been elected and our country starts to deteriorate. Integrity. In everyday common language, it's knowing the difference between right and wrong and always choosing to do right no matter what the consequence. I know in, this, in the 8.30 worship service, after that worship service, uh, Sister Michelle English came up to me and said, you know, in the Boonville school system, we have the signs in the classes. Integrity is doing what's right even when no one is watching. Both of those definitions are right down to things that we can understand. We need integrity. I think from an historical perspective, nations which valued integrity had a longer life expectancy. And and for centuries, uh, enduring cultures across the world and every religion have placed a powerful premium on honor and integrity. Um, To be discovered as uh, dishonorable, whether as a liar, a con, a philanderer, was to bring shame on yourself and your family and even your clan. And it's that sense of shame that has kept our culture here in the United States. But I'm afraid... We may be losing that. You know, when we lose that sense of shame, even God notices. The children of Israel lost their sense of shame. Jeremiah wrote about it in Jeremiah 6 and verse 15 when he wrote, Were were there a shame when they had committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore they shall fall among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Christian people are to do what's proper. Christian people are to be people of integrity. Just look at what Peter wrote there. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, verses 5 through 7. I'm sure you're familiar with this. But also, for this very reason, giving giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge. You remember when we look back at those synonyms to our integrity? One of those synonyms was virtue. Virtue is the moral courage to do what's right. Virtue is one of the synonyms for integrity. And that's one of the things that Christians are supposed to add to our character. So do we as a nation even know the difference between right and wrong? You know, Isaiah gave a warning about that. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for mixing intoxicating drink, who justify the wicked for a bribe and take away justice from the righteous man. You know how this is. We even make up words to cover up sin. Instead of saying abortion, we'll say it's freedom of choice. And you could just go right down the line. I think what Isaiah said so many years ago still applies to us today. But Jesus said, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And he went on in his prayer in John 17, 17 to say, sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. Integrity. It's a personal thing. Integrity. It's a family thing. Integrity. It's a congregational thing. And so, I've entitled today's lesson, Restoring Integrity. Where do we start? I appreciate Brother Kendrick reading Proverbs, the fourth chapter, verses 23 through 27. You know, when you look at the words there, Solomon, if 
you read the introduction to Proverbs, he's writing it to his son. He is trying to instill integrity in his son. And he's telling his son here what to do and what not to do so that he will be a person of integrity. When Ezra was written about, Ezra made a choice to be a person of integrity. There in Ezra 7 and verse 10, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it. My belief is that in general, the people in the Boonville Church of Christ know what is right and wrong in God's sight. And that our challenge is not to go out and learn what God expects us to do. Our challenge is to consistently stand for truth no matter what the personal consequences. I just wonder, will we pass the integrity test? Job stands out as a Bible example of a person that passed the integrity test. Even God talked about him. In Job 2 and verse 3, the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. I don't know what you've experienced in 2020, but I would venture to say it hasn't been as bad as what Job had ventured. And God notices when we take a stand and when we are consistently true to His Word. And won't we, like Job, have God say of us, haven't you noticed how they hold fast to their integrity? Integrity will prepare us for Judgment Day. The psalmist said, let integrity and uprightness preserve me. For I wait for you. Not only is integrity an individual thing, integrity is a family thing. I would say that the family is the university where integrity is taught. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. The family, as I said, is where integrity starts. But the family, as God would have it, is under attack. God's principle starts with one man for one woman for life. He was challenged about that in Matthew the 19th chapter, and he said, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh? So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. I was doing some research for this uh, lesson on the internet and came across a website from the Pew Research Center. They had a few comments about things that are impacting the family. They said the percentage of people who are married in the United States has dropped by 8% since 1990. Marriage used to be something that people look forward to. Now many people are choosing not to be married. And the percentage of people who are cohabitating without the benefit of marriage went up 29% from 2007 to 2016, which is contrary to what God's plan is. And about half the adults that were born after 1980 say that lesbian couples being allowed to marry and, and ho other homosexual couples being allowed to marry is a good thing for society. There 40% of the spouses are of different religions now. That's about double what it was in 1960. So what's the point? Well, the point is that all of these things show that the family as God would have it is disappearing. 
And the fact that the family is disappearing is going to have a detrimental effect on integrity in this congregation, in the nation. I also looked at a website about fatherhood. And I looked at the impact of a family raising children without a father. And these are some of the uh, impacts, the negative effects of not being in a family without a father uh, really zap people. The negative effects of divorce on people involved in, in marriage are destroying the family. As a matter of fact, this Dean Kilmer said these were four daggers that were attacking the family. The efforts of homosexuals to change the structure of the family and abortion. When you look at the fact that children are being born outside the security of a loving home, sometimes they're being impacted by divorce, they're being impacted by this homosexual agenda, and they're being impacted by their, the parent having been involved in abortion. What you can see is these daggers challenge the integrity of the parents themselves. And not only that, but these daggers make it so hard to teach integrity to their children. So why is this so important? The family is where the seeds of integrity are sown. The family is where children's integrity is nurtured and watered. The family is the source of creating future adults that will know how to take a stand for what is right. Paul encouraged us to be strong. In Philippians, the six, or excuse me, in Ephesians, the sixth chapter, in verse eleven, he said, "Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil." What are the wiles of the devils? These are tricks of the devils. All of those daggers that we talked about attacking the family are have their source in the devil and evil influence. There is a misguided concept of tolerance. You know, we're encouraged more and more to be tolerant of things that are different from what the Bible would teach us. Uh, this whole concept of hate speech, it's especially true in Canada, that if you teach things, some things that the Bible says are right and wrong, you'll be accused of hate speech. You can even be thrown in jail for it. What they want there is you to be tolerant of these lifestyles that are have the devil as their source. Also, there's a lack of consequences for doing wrong in this life. There have been a lot of things that are against the law that we have heard about in the last few years going on in our government, and yet very few examples of people being held accountable for what's going on. Even in Prentice County, if you read about people that are brought into the court system, most of the people that are brought into the court system get a pass the first time, sometimes the second time. It's very unusual, percentage-wise, when people do wrong and then actually have to Go to jail, for example. And lack of respect for authority is also one of those wiles of the devil that is undermining our families and undermining our ability to teach integrity. He went on to say, Therefore, taking up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to, instand, to stand. If we're going to have integrity in ourselves and integrity in our families, we have got to be persistent in our stand against evil. Paul tells us how to do this. He said, stand up, therefore, having gird your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. When I think about the breastplate of righteousness, I think about it, I could replace that word with having put on integrity. 
that's one of the things that we're supposed to arm ourselves with. If you read on down, you'll tell you, he'll tell you there that you don't have to face this battle alone. He'll tell you that, that prayer is one of the things that you can use to help you to be strong enough to take a stand. Isn't it great that we have a God that will support us? Isn't it great that we can be challenged to take a stand, to be people of integrity? Now God helps us in some of His Old Testament teaching to tell us the method for teaching integrity in our, in our families. There in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter, he said, And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as signs on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. I hope that one of your family traditions is a time when you sit down at a table together for a meal. And I hope that when you do that, that part of the conversation is teaching integrity, what's right, what's wrong, what you did today, the challenges that you faced, the choices that you made, so that your children can develop an inner sense of how to be a person that stands righteous before God. I hope that you interact with your children on more than just meals. You know, it talks here when you walk with them, by the way. I hope you go out and, rec and have recreation together. Have fun together. Go on vacations together. And that when you do, you speak about things that are in God's Word. Because that's where they learn. You ought to be taking every opportunity you can to teach your children things that are right. I love going in Leanne's house because she writes things on her wall that are from the Bible so her children can look up and see it. I hope you do things like that. Maybe you've got plaques that talk about me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord or something like that. So that people are constantly reminded of what God's Word expects of us. I mentioned earlier I'd read about these fatherless homes and some of the impact there. The children in fatherless homes are at higher risk of having behavioral problems. They're more likely to be incarcerated in their lifetime. They're twice as likely to never graduate from high school. There's a seven times higher risk of teen pregnancy. The children are more vulnerable to abuse and neglect. And the children are more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. Point I'm making is God had a great plan, and he, when His great plan is followed, there are very positive benefits. This is examples of what happens when you don't follow God's plan. Peter wrote, But you are a chosen generation. I'm telling you now, integrity is a congregational thing. That's what he's writing about here. You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You know, our success in proclaiming the gospel is tied to our integrity. He called us here a holy nation. Notice he said, after He said that we're a holy nation, He said, that you may. We need to be people of integrity so we'll be credible when we're sharing the gospel to others. Even if the United States loses its integrity, it's eternally important that the Lord's church keeps her integrity. We need to be a congregation of integrity in teaching the truth. Paul told Timothy... Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. If we're going to be people of integrity, 
We're going to teach sound doctrine, and we're going to insist that those who teach, teach sound doctrine. If we're going to be a congregation of integrity, we're going to deal with sin in the camp. I think back to what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, where he told them it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife and you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. This misconception of the importance of tolerance is not a new thing. They were feeling good about themselves because they tolerated the sexual immorality that was present in their congregation. And then Paul, in essence, is telling them, you make me sick. You're worse than even the Gentiles are. You, as the congregation of the Lord, are supposed to be people of integrity, but your behavior betrays you. We're people of integrity. We're going to respond to others' needs. James wrote, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. we're going to be a congregation of integrity, we're going to help each other be people of integrity. Just think about what Paul wrote to Titus about what he should tell the young men. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity. Reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. So, I know I'm sort of like a fire hose throwing a lot of stuff at you, but I know that we're all distraught over the lack of integrity we see around us, and for the trend, our nation is moving away from God. And we have to start restoring integrity by having our own personal circle of influence be an oasis for integrity. And I mean that on an individual basis, on a family basis, and on a congregational basis. Now, what does God think about integrity? Well, I think he thinks about it sort of like we do. Knowing the difference between right and wrong and always choosing to do right no matter what the consequences. Or choosing to do what's right even if nobody's looking. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, To him it is sin. That's what God thinks about not being a person of integrity. I've got three questions I'd like for you to ponder. Or thoughts. The first thought is that sin separates us from God. We saw that over in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. Think about what does God think of my integrity? And then how am I helping those in my circle of influence to be people of integrity? Restoring integrity, where do we start? Well, we start with ourselves and with the blood of Jesus Christ. If you don't feel good about your integrity and how you've influenced others, then you're not being the example of Christ that you need to be, and we would encourage you to come forward and confess this morning and get back on track and be a person of integrity. If you've never become a Christian, if you're not part of the Lord's family, then you've never had all of those sins washed away and you're separated from God. And why don't you correct that this morning? Come when we have this invitation song 
stand before this group and confess that you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, having repented of your sins, we will bury you in baptism where the precious blood of Jesus Christ will wash all of those sins away and you can start a walk that is an example of integrity. If you need to respond, won't you come right now as we stand in the center. Restore my spirit, Lord, I need.
As we prepare our minds to partake of the Lord's Supper, if you have not uh, received an emblem, if you can raise your hand up high where our ushers can see and they will assist you. In preparation for the Lord's Supper, there's also, uh, back a long time ago, there needed to be preparation for the Lord to actually come. And that's recorded for us in John, uh, the first chapter. As we go back to that scene, we know that John is in the wilderness. And the Pharisees had sent uh, people to go see what was going on. And they asked him, um, was he... Uh, first asked, who are you? And uh, he did not say that he was the Christ, but he did confess that I am not the Christ. They asked him, are you the prophet? He said, no. So they said to him, it's like, who are you? We need to know, get an answer for those who sent us uh, as to who you say you are about yourself. And I like his response there, John's response. It wasn't the response that they probably were looking for, but he said, I am the one crying out, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet said. I'm sure that's not what they wanted to hear. They, they asked him, then why are you baptizing? If you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet, and John after John answered him, I baptize with water, but among you stands one whom you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whom sandal I am not worthy to untie. Of course, it says these took place in the Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. And then the very next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God. He who takes the sin away the sin of the world. This is he whom I said, after me comes a man who, makes, who, may, who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. I'm pretty sure that those same Pharisees were still came back the next day because they hadn't gotten the answer that they wanted. And at that point, you kind of wonder, what more do you need? Well, John bore witness that at the same time. He said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. And that's one thing that I've kind of took notice of. It remained on him. It didn't go away. Now, if I had to think at a certain time of when Christ's ministries died, started, it was at that moment. People didn't really know who he was, but when the Spirit came down and remained on him, I don't know anywhere where it said it went away. I think at that point, there was no denying that this was the Son of God. And that's whom we've come around this table today to remember. Some of us have already partaken. I've been one, so if I do not partake, that's why I'm not. Uh, I'm just letting you know. But as we do that, let's go back to God's uh, son's example of how he wanted us to do it. Let's give thanks and, and, let, and ask him to bless this memorial. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day, this first day of the week, which is your day where we as Christians come around this table to remember your son's death on the cross for our sins. Heavenly Father, as we partake of this bread, which represents his body that was broken on that cross, may we do so in a manner that would be well-pleasing in your sight, remembering his death and what it means to us. This we do in your son's name. Amen. Let us give thanks for the, the cup. 
In like manner, Father, we ask your blessings on this cup, which represents Christ's blood that was shed on that cross for our sins. As we do this, may we do so in a manner that we be well-pleasing, remembering your Son's death and his promise to when he comes again. This is our prayer in your Son's name. Amen. course, we've also had the command to uh, lay by in store, and I just wonder sometimes that God might have thought for times a lot such as this, that we talk about the collections of the saints. While you are, we are here today, we know that there are others that are not, and this is what he means by lay by in store. For each, each week, let's, if we cannot contribute We should lay by in store so that when we come again and we are reunited as a a family here at at the Boonville congregation that we can bring our our offering to the to the to the altar. Let's uh, pray for that uh, that collection and uh, as we do. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your your providence that gives us uh, ways to earn a living here on earth. Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us that as we are wage earners and, and we are out and about in the community that we would represent ourselves in a way that uh, we would be good examples and, and also that in the manner that we earn our wages would be respectful to you that we'd do so that at some point we would give something back to you in return. Heavenly Father, as we go about our lives and we, we lay by in store, we'd always do so that would be cheerful and then that much good would come of, of our offering and that many souls might hear your gospel. This is our prayer in your son's name. Amen. Good morning. We do have just a few announcements before we're dismissed. I have a card that says, Dear Church Family, words seem inadequate to express the thanks my family and I feel for your prayers, food, gifts, and kind words during the loss of my sister. Please continue to pray for my family as we continue to try to make sense of a senseless tragedy. In Christian love, Kevin Cook and family. We need to continue to remember the family of Keith Lovell, the family of Don Green, and the family of Wanda Sweeney. Uh, Tommy Barragona had a medical procedure Friday and had to, and he has to take it easy for a few days, so we need to keep him in our prayers. Also, Mr. Morgan wanted me to announce there are uh, spray bottles of uh, the sanitizing chemicals Uh, in the little chapel. There's not any more, Chris? Okay, there will be some at a later date. They will be refilled and there will be some probably next week. He said there was 49 to start the day, so apparently those have already been grabbed and taken home, but they will have more for you. Attendance today, we had uh, 90 at the 8.30 service and 145 at the 10.30 service. Reminder that our traditional Thanksgiving service will be Tuesday night, uh, November 24th at 7 o'clock. The Golden Circle breakfast that was scheduled for tomorrow has been canceled uh, due to COVID concerns. And the fifth Sunday contributions is next Sunday, November 29th, and those will go toward capital improvements. Uh, Please be prayerfully planning towards this. And if you'll bow with me, we'll close with a word of prayer. Most beautiful, loving, and gracious Heavenly Father, God, we come to you this morning with hearts just filled with joy and thanksgiving as we approach a special week in our country that we come together as families and just celebrate our love for one another. And God, we could stand here from now until next Sunday and not count all the many blessings you have given each one of us. We're so thankful. 
to live in a nation where we had founding fathers with the foresight to set up institutions of separation of power and checks and balances so in times of turmoil like this our institutions are strong God we're so thankful for your grace and your mercy we're so thankful for all the many blessings you've given us God we know that all that any of us can do as individuals is to do your will and to help those people around us and God we pray this morning that we will go out this week and that we will do just that that we will extend the grace and mercy to others that you have extended to us we love you father we thank you so much for your son Jesus and what he did for us on the cross of Calvary please forgive us where we failed you and again we thank you for how you blessed us at the Boonville Church of Christ in Jesus name Amen